All right. <clears throat> On your, in your green hymnal, we are on hymn number 22, which most people probably know what number this is in TLH or LW or whatever you're familiar with. What is it? 262, I think. Huh? In TLH, it's 262, isn't it? It is. And 198? So it's a mighty fortress, uh, which is what we're familiar with. Uh, This one is uh, the traditional uh, English wording that is found uh, when uh, Missouri Synod was producing their hymnal. 1847 or something like that. And uh, this is the uh, version that uh, they use. There's actually two other uh, versions. There's one used by other English speakers and another one used by the Germans uh, when uh, they used theirs, English translation of that. But uh, this is probably uh, the most familiar of what we have. Uh, Yeah, 1868 from their from their church book that's listed. Um, Originally written by Martin Luther, not only the words, but also the uh, tune. Uh, This is the rhythmic tune. Uh, It is hymn 22. Yes. And it's um, got the kind of syncopated beat that goes with it. Later, they had an, uh, another one uh, that was also uh, included in LW. Both versions were that where it was uh, flattened out pretty well the uh, same. Um, so uh, the original one was reintroduced at that 1868. And from that point, it has been uh, pretty well taken back over the, the, the singing of the of the hymn. Luther wrote it at a time when a lot of things were going on. The, we tend to think of it as a Reformation hymn, as a uh, battle hymn of the Republic, a off to war, kind of a fighting, maybe even a polemic against uh, Rome. The heading that was under it was a hymn of comfort. That was, that was all it said. Uh, there had been a uh, disease epidemic that had, that had raged. Uh, the uh, Turks were getting close. Uh, the Catholic forces uh, under uh, the emperor were talking about coming in, as well as theologically fighting against Rome on one side and at this time quite a bit against the Calvinist and Reformed. So there was a lot going on. This was to serve as a comfort. Uh, It is, as several of Luther's uh, hymns, a a paraphrase of Psalm 46. I want you to turn to Psalm 46. Uh, Do you have the Red Bibles up here? No. No? All right, here, take this one. There's one here, and I've got a one my own. Um, Close enough. I just want you to see just a little bit of, yeah, there may be a couple more, Dan, scrounge up. Uh, I 
we do happen to be a Christian congregation. We ought to find some hymns somewhere, uh, some Bibles somewhere. (laughs) So, uh, it is a a paraphrase, and yet it's not. Um, Many of the other ones uh, will go through and pretty well be a uh, saying in a little bit different way. And usually, maybe you remember some of the other ones that I've gone through. May God embrace us with his grace. I pretty well go through stanza one, verse one, stanza two, and kind of walk right on down through. Uh, this, and, and the Calvinist, uh, didn't want anything but scripture. No, uh, hymns that are written, it had to be, and some of them just said the Psalms only. Some of them would allow a paraphrase of the Psalms like this, and that was it. Yeah, um, know what Luther does. All right, so, Psalm 46. Um, I guess I, I don't have the NIV, I got the New King James, but you'll follow it along. Uh, God is our, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's the beginning. Uh, Luther begins, A mighty fortress is our God, a trusty shield and weapon. We'll talk about how those those go together. But, but from that part on, uh, you pretty well have Luther going off on the old evil foe and the devil, and we're going to need to fight, and we need Jesus Christ, the valiant one, to fight against him. But note Psalm 46. Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of death. Really, death. There's no devil in that, that first stanzas uh, that, that are there. In fact, most of that stuff isn't included in, in, Luther's, uh, in Luther's hymn at all. All right, so set your Psalm 46 aside. We'll come back to it after we take a look at the hymn, kind of see. So what do we have? Luther begins, A mighty fortress is our God, a trusty shield and weapon. Repeat. A mighty fortress is our God. The psalm speaks of a refuge. God is our a refuge, a place of, of keeping safe. Luther translates it with not a refuge, but a, for, a place where you could have refuge, a place where you would go and there would be uh, uh, safety. So this a mighty fortress is our God. In the next one, he talks about how God is a help in trouble. This one calls what? God a shield and weapon. So you have the defensive and the offensive. You have the God who is the one who is, it appears, he is kind of like a warrior, a military man. He's coming to our aid. If the psalm says we're going to have a help and and, and uh, in the midst of trouble, here he is going to come to our aid. It seems like it's just an application that he sees this is how God has been a refuge in my life and in our lives 
or what he wanted to think of the fortress of Warburg, where he was hidden away and protected, and the, the battles that are being fought. And also, a verse seven where it says, God of Jacob is our fortress. So, self explanatory. Oh, there you go. Yours says that? Mine has refuge, too. In verse, In verse seven? seven? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it necessarily has the word actually fortress in the original text, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the Calvinist uh, will go through, and it will be pretty well a paraphrase, almost exactly. I think you're exactly right, just as in others. But in this one, I'm going to say he takes it, should we say the extreme? I don't know. Uh, uh, where in other ones, he, you will have the psalm going through, and all of a sudden, he'll sicken the word Jesus Christ. And you kind of go, well, that's not in the psalm. But you're right. He's interpreting. He's exactly, he's, he's showing, hey, I know what this is about. Luther, I'm going to say, is, is going to do something a little bit more. He's going to read the psalm, and he's going to take the major people in the psalm and the theme or, or the, of it, and he is going to completely transpose it into the church, Jesus, and the devil. It is not going to be simply a paraphrase. It is going to be a full-blown sermon based on the text. So, all right, so we've got a fortress, which is a refuge. We've got the uh, shield and weapon that's going to fight for us. Going on, he helps us free from every need. He helps us free from every need. That hath us now or taken. So I talked about all these things coming against them, an epidemic, military might, as well as theological uh, uh, offensive. Going on, the old evil foe now means deadly woe. The old evil foe now means deadly woe. Deep guile and great might are his dread arms in fight. On earth is not his equal. On earth is not his equal. So, if we're going to be battling and uh, God's going to help us in trouble, what kind of trouble does Luther see? The devil trying to destroy us. You bet. So he's going to use him called the old evil foe. That's the way the uh, revelation calls him, the ancient foe, the old evil foe. What's he going to do? He wants to kill us, not just physically. And he does want that, uh, but he'd like to damn us eternally. He'd like to hurt and kill us. How does he do it? Yeah, so he's always been a liar. He's going to be used by trickery. He's going to tell us things that aren't true. And if that's not enough, he's going to do it by a show of force. He's going to scare us. That is the way that he does it. He does it by uh, by power, by might. Um, and, and he's going to go against us. When we get to the end of stanza one, uh, one of the reasons why uh, you don't have your... Uh, uh, tell your organist, well, we don't have much time. I guess we'll only sing stanza one. Because when you get to the end of stanza one, what do you find out? Oh, the devil's against us. 
And, and that's pretty much it. And that's pretty well it. And uh, as for us who are on earth, yeah, we got no chance. On earth is not as equal. If you think that you're going to, you know, uh, um, those that say, oh, we're going to go fight the devil, we're going to, you know, um, uh, Jesus is the one that defeats the devil. We do it by faith and, and holding on to him. So, uh, no, he is, he is much stronger than we are. Stanza two. With might of ours cannot be done. With might of ours cannot be done. Soon were our loss effected. Soon were our loss effected. So, again, Luther drives the point home. You can't do it. Uh, um, you know, we don't have the might to go against his power. And uh, when we did, we lost. Garden of Eden. But for us fights the valiant one. Whom God himself elected. So God chose Christ, determined that even before the creation of the world, he was going to send him. He is going to be the valiant one. This is going to fit right in uh, with, and interesting enough, I, I, I don't know of any, uh, normally this is chosen for Reformation Day. It's chosen for the first Sunday in Lent because there Jesus goes and does battle with the devil. But in this, uh, on the third Sunday, Okuli, uh, the gospel reading, reading is where Jesus tells them uh, about how there's a strong one until the stronger one comes and takes away his stuff. So here we have the valiant one uh, who, is, who is going to come and you might say redeem us, buy us back, take back the, the stuff that belongs to him, which is us. Ask ye who is this? Ask ye who is this? Jesus Christ it is. Jesus Christ it is. Of Sabaoth Lord and there's none other God. Of Sabaoth Lord and there's none other God. He holds the field forever. You go back to your psalm, Psalm 46, begin at verse 6. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. Uh, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord. So Luther sees the nations that are raging, the kingdoms. He sees all of this as simply none other than, well, the devil, and he's going to go on to talk about uh, they, that would be the devil and his, and his host. Those are the ones that are coming against us. And so, with this one, ask ye, who is this Jesus Christ? It is this explanation of the Lord of hosts, you know, uh, is with us. He answers the question. He says, I'll tell you exactly who it is. It's Jesus Christ. He's the one. And there's no other God. In fact, uh, he's the one that you know, the playing field is going out. He towers above it. He is greater than it completely. Stanza number three. Though devils all the world should fill, all eager to devour us, we tremble not, we fear no ill, 
They shall not overpower us. So if the devil has great might trying to overpower us, no. Uh, he says, they're going to come against us. That's the nations. That's the kingdoms. It's the devil and uh, all of that. They fill the world. They're coming against us. He describes uh, the devil as this world's prince. This world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none. He's judged, the deed is done. One little word can fell him. So you've got the, uh, this world is, is not in our control. Uh, and so, you know, the devil is, is moving mightily in, in, in this world, but our Jesus has come. Uh, as it says here, the devil may scowl fierce, and he may uh, either uh, try to uh, come at us with accusations, which things, but uh, there's nothing he can, he can do uh, to, to harm us. Uh, Jesus has defeated him. He's already judged. The deed is done. Everything is, is taken care of. And finally it says, one little word can fell him. What is that little word? Jesus? It is the word Jesus. Luther himself explains it in a letter later on, right, written right about this time, in which he says, you know, we hold up and it, it's just by the name Jesus. What's interesting is that Luther also, uh, about, oh, I don't know, 15 years later, uh, he also, or, uh, writes about how uh, we, we have that one word by which we can fell the devil. And uh, uh, Luther says, you lie. <laughs> um, he says, that's the way we ought to respond to the devil. You lie. Um, and so, right, uh, this is what uh, uh, we, we have been given. Stanza number four. The word they still shall let remain. The word they still shall let remain. And not a thank have for it. And not a thank have for it. Luther intends this to actually continue to be the devils or the enemies, those that are against us. So, uh, uh, the, the word is going to remain. Uh, they can't do anything about it, uh, our enemies. Even the next line is probably not as well translated as it, as it could. Uh, it's not really about uh, thanksgiving. It's simply about uh, that, that even though it goes against their will, even though they don't consent to it, here is, what, here is what's going to happen, and the word is going to have its way uh, in translation into uh, English. They kind of change the, the meaning just a little bit. He's by our side upon the plain. He's by our side upon the plain. With his good gifts and spirit. With his good gifts and spirit. So, uh, Jesus is with us. As the psalm says quite, uh, quite clearly that, that he is with us. Uh, the God of, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. So here he is. He's with us on the plain. He's giving us the good gifts, word and sacrament, the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, the next line has they once against the enemies and take they our life. And take they our life. Good thing, child and wife. Let these all be gone. They yet have nothing won. The kingdom ours remaineth. And so when the psalm says, be still and know that I am God, it says, listen, God is doing his work. Uh, though all these things uh, uh, be attacked and maybe taken away, uh, you need not fear. Any questions about hymn number 22? No. All right. Let's take a look at the uh, catechism for tonight. Uh, we're on question number four and five on your little book. It's also included in the hymnal as well, but page 26 in your little book. Or, let's see, it's also page 212 in the green book. Either way. Uh, we took a look last time at the benefit. We looked at, at stanza two, which were the word, or question two, which was the words of institution. We also looked at question three, which was the benefit. What page, sir? It's on page 26 in that little book. Yep, 26. So, question four and five are the last two questions on that page. How can bodily eating and drinking do such great things? Answer, repeat after me. It is not the eating and drinking indeed. It is not the eating and drinking indeed. That does them. That does them. But the words here written. But the words here written. Given and shed for you for the remission of sins. Given and shed for you for the remission of sins. Which words? Which words? Besides the bodily eating and drinking. Besides the bodily eating and drinking. Are as the chief thing in the sacrament. Are as the chief thing in the sacrament. And he that believes these words. And he that believes these words. Has what they say. Has what they say. Oh, I got Has what they say and express. Has what they say and express. Namely, the forgiveness of sins. So, the purpose of this bodily eating and drinking of these uh, uh, of these elements that have been put with the word, the, uh, the bread and wine with the word, so that it becomes the body and blood of Christ. <laughs> we know that we receive uh, uh, the benefit of forgiveness of sins, and where there's forgiveness of sins, there's life and salvation. Uh, but it comes to, you know, what about this? Uh, how, how, can it, how can it do this thing? And it says, the chief thing is what? It is these words. These words present to us. When you say, well, what's going on when we have Lord's Supper? I go, Go to those words. Go to the words of institution. Those are the things that tell us. Not only does it tell us that uh, there is the forgiveness of sins, but it tells us that it is the word that makes it such. What do we need to know about that? Well, we need to think about those words of institution as a promise. 
And God has made you a promise with these words. And so that when you receive this, you say, well, how do I know I have forgiveness? I trust in God. And when God makes me a promise, given and shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins, it is those, that word of promise that gives us, uh, that, that makes it sure that we know that, that this is what we are receiving. Um, uh, the Reformed come up with their own ideas. They do not go to that, and they do not see uh, the words of institution as a promise at all. Ulrich Zwingli, number one, says this, Sacraments, including the Lord's Supper, are not signs of God's grace. And by God's grace, he says, I'm talking forgiveness of sins. That's what Zwingli says. What's his basis for this? His basis for this is the Holy Spirit is the thing that brings us forgiveness and the Holy Spirit needs no means or instrument. The Holy Spirit works directly, he says. Well, the Holy Spirit could work directly if he wanted to. But what have we, what have we heard? We've just heard that the Holy Spirit does use means. In other words, he comes up with his own idea, telling God how he's going to you know, uh, run his business. Uh, no, you can't do that. God is determined if the Holy Spirit wishes to work through the word and the sacrament, through means and not apart from them, then we receive the, uh, the way that he does it. Second, Zwingli says this. He says these sacraments are simply outward signs of... Uh, of a man's profession of faith, that which happened inwardly, where he came to believe in forgiveness and whatever. That, that happened long ago. This is just him making a profession, showing himself to be uh, part of the church. Once again, uh, that's not what the words say. God is giving us a promise. You have all of a sudden, because of your idea about apart from means or whatever, you've had to turn this into something else. And finally, then he says that the body and blood of Christ are not present. Well, he says, they're only present by contemplation, that is. If you think about it, then, then it's present. Uh, no different from uh, your own family member going out on a trip and you say, you'll always be with me. I'll, I'll be thinking about you. That's about as much as, as Wingley would go. It leaves the words behind. It does not hold to those uh, at all. What do the words tell us? The words tell us that we are to do this in remembrance. That includes, well, understanding who Jesus is and what he has done for us on the night he was betrayed, suffering and dying, and it includes, two then receiving what he has promised, the body and blood for the forgiveness of sins according to his promise. Question number five. Who then receives such sacrament worthily? Answer, fasting and bodily preparation Bodily is indeed a fine outward training. But he is truly worthy and well prepared 
who has faith in these words. Given and shed for you for the remission of sins. But he does not. But he that does not believe these words. Or doubts is unworthy and unprepared. For the words for you require all hearts to believe. So, what makes us worthy to receive Lord's Supper? One answer and one alone. Faith in these words. Um, there are those that would say, well, faith, yeah, yeah, you got it, you got faith. But, but worthy involves, but, and whatever, crossing yourself, bowing, uh, um, fasting, uh, thinking for, you know, praying for, uh, always something else, something besides the faith in these words, and that is simply not true. These things may help us uh, in order that it might direct our attention to the words, but they don't make us worthy, not at all. And so, um, the definition for worthy is often, uh, it can have several meanings. It can either mean sinful, uh, someone that is unworthy is someone who is, is sinful. Uh, in this context, don't let your sins get in the way, uh, uh, keep you away from Lord's Supper. If you have sins and are sorry for those, you come uh, for those. At, at other times, uh, worthy means without faith in Christ. And that is the thing that is makes us unworthy to come without faith in Christ. So, that will include non-Christians. That will include those that are openly unrepentant. Uh, that will include those that would deny the presence of the body and blood of Christ in the supper. Question. All right, when we light the candles, we'll begin. Please stand. Lamb of our salvation. 
the back of your white bulletin. It's Luke chapter 11. And Jesus was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was, when the demon had gone out, that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, He takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. But he said, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is God's word. We'll sing our hymn. It's hymn number 22 in your green book. Oh 
and teaching, he's gotten uh, some resistance, not, not a whole lot at the beginning, but after we get past about the midway point, and as things go on, we see more and more, and at this point, uh, with Luke chapter 11, uh, they have introduced in our Lenten gospel readings an increasing demand upon the believer and an increasing opposition to Jesus and his teaching. Here is one where they come at him, they see that he is casting out uh, a demon, uh, a mute demon, uh, and the says the multitudes marvel. This is Luke's gospel. They are uh, enthralled with all that Jesus is doing, but not all. Some of them, and now we have According to Mark, it's the Pharisees and the scribes. We've got the Pharisees and the scribes. Two, two uh, challenges to Jesus driving out a demon. Uh, there it happens before them. You can't deny that it has happened. 
But they try with two ways to try to uh, turn the crowd away from this person uh, who, who uh, is, is showing himself to be the Savior, the Messiah. What's the first accusation? Great. He's in league with Satan. He, he's doing it. We don't now deny it happened. But uh, the devil's working with him. And so that's, that's what's going on here. Well, nobody wants to follow <laughs> someone who's working with the devil. Uh, <laughs> what's the second accusation? <laughs> we want to see something. Uh, you know, uh, so they're going to demand something from him. He has done this one, and they're kind of like, well, yeah, 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 but, but, you know, uh, and they're pretty sure Jesus you know, is not going to uh, give in to their, to their accusations or to their demands to have a new, a new sign, something up in the heavens, something cosmic, if you will. Uh, kind of thing. All right. Jesus takes on the first accusation and answers it. They say you're working with Satan. Uh, what does Jesus say? Kingdom divided against itself is just going to be destroyed. Right. So Satan's kingdom is to send out the demons, and yes, they are going to uh, try to take over things. If Jesus is working with Satan and Satan's trying to take over things and Jesus is releasing things, this is, this is not going to bode well for this, for, for the devil's kingdom. Of course this is not true. Uh, this is not the way it is. Now, this is not an accusation that, uh, uh, uh the devil is just, you know, doing this once in a while, just kind of letting you know. Every time that Jesus went and went to drive out a demon, it happened. His words had effect, and he did it. So Jesus says, here I am doing this, and every time I do it, you say that, you know, I'm doing it in league with Satan. Of course not. Uh, this is not the way it is. Uh, you know, you say I cast out. In fact, he says, all right, well, let's be consistent then. Uh, you've got seminarians. You've got those that you've trained, and you've sent them out to exercise. By whom do they do it? You're, you're going to have to you're going to have to accuse your own children, your own sons of the prophets, your own seminarians, if you will, of that. And like the devil always breaking homes. Yep. So. So who, who is he talking about? Their sons. Um, seminarians. Uh, everybody had prophet schools. You all had seminaries. You had those that you trained, the Pharisees and scribes. They had. Uh, schools that they train people to. And they were actively going around? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to say probably no, no more than a pastor today. I mean, that they, they were trained, they were taught, and they were also taught. We do have references uh, to this. Um, Acts 19, Paul makes a reference to the sons of Sceva and how they were trying to cast out, and remember they were they were going out doing this. They didn't have much success, but then they tried using Jesus' name to do it, and then the demons jumped on them. And, and also, so it actually was happening. 
I, I don't know to a great extent, but and were they able to do it? Mm, probably not. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, Jesus says, you know, you're going to have to be consistent then uh, with that, uh, which which would be interesting. If they're going to be consistent, then they have to say that their own students are casting out with the devil's help. In other words, they're teaching their own students to be in league with Satan, which kind of is what they're doing by denying Jesus. Uh, he says, all right, they will be uh, your, your judges. They will be your judges. Jesus goes on to say, no, in fact, what really is happening here is these, these are not, there's really only two possibilities. Uh, if uh, I am able to cast out demons, then I must be over and stronger and better than the devil himself. I must have defeated him. You see, if there's a strong man and he's guarding his house, everything is good. The only way you can get to the stuff that the strong man has in his house is to defeat the strong man. Yes, he's judged, the deed is done, we need not fear. That's exactly what Jesus is saying, that he has come. And he says, even though he's done that, I have defeated him and I have taken back the spoil and I am handing back out, you would say, these uh, to those who are good. And so, Jesus says to them that there is only, just as there is only two choices, you can't have them working together. You've got to have Jesus defeating the devil. He says, there's only two choices for you as well. Either you're going to gather with me or you're going to scatter. There is no neutrality uh, regarding Jesus. We're going to find that the multitudes, as we say here, are going to accept his teaching. The Pharisees and the scribes are going to reject his teaching. What do they do? They are working against. They are scattering uh, where Jesus and his apostles, by the preaching of the gospel, are gathering together. So he's not yet died on the cross yet. And yet he's... Well, I mean, it's like the timeless terms of his salvation for the world, which was also for the Old Testament. You are right. Um, there will be some that would definitely point to uh, Matthew chapter 4, where he defeats the devil in 40 days in the temptation. So already at the beginning of this ministry, it's not a matter of, you know, sitting on the edge of your seat in the movie wondering who's going to win. He already showed him. I, I, what it, now, take that and let's let's... Let's push it further now that you bring it up. What happens? Jesus goes head to head with the devil. He defeats him. What does he do to the devil? What does he say at the end? Depart from me. He sends him away. Drives him out. So, is the devil still around? Well, yeah, for the rest of the gospel. I mean, you know, there's still, I, I, mean, I mean, it's still going on. What happens? He wanders around in wilderness places trying to see who he can take care of, you know. He's defeated, but, um, yeah, yeah, 
He will always be. I wonder if this was the devil really trying everything he's got, pulling out all the stops. Because you hear about several accounts of demon possession right. in the Gospels. Um, we don't know about a lot. I don't know anybody who's been demon possessed personally. Right. I mean, you don't hear about it except for in the movies. Um, there might be rare cases of it. But the devil knows that he has met more than his match. You bet. And yes, exactly. Yes, and at every point, Jesus drives out the demon. I mean... Uh, even even when they, they go, we know who you are. Um, when they go, well, um, can we go into those? I mean, they have to have permission to do everything. I mean, he is in complete control of this situation. Yeah, they're trying to derail him. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Ministry. Absolutely. So what happens? They leave, and and then it says Jesus goes on and tells us the situation that they come back and 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 they go well. Uh, I'd like to, I'd like to, I got nowhere to go. I'll go back to the house that I was. I'll go back to the guy. Uh, and what does he find? He says, the house is cleaned up, put in order. Um, and he says, great, uh, uh, there's room for seven more of us. All eight of us will come in this time. This is an extension of what you've already heard about the distinction of the gathering and the scattering. You've got two choices. If Jesus is not working with Beelzebub, and he's not, then he is God come, and Beelzebub is going against him. You have a choice. You either gather with Jesus and his heavenly Father, or you scatter with the devil. He has just told these Pharisees and scribes they're going against God and his word. They are scattering the sheep, not gathering the sheep into the kingdom of God. I mean, they would have understood this quite clearly. When Jesus gets down to the end of this and he talks about uh, uh, the demon that goes away and then he comes back into the, into the house or whatever, how come he can go back into that house? Why can he repossess the man? Nobody else there. Because nobody else is there. The implication is that there's only two choices once again. Either you're possessed by the devil or you're inhabited by Jesus. Neutrality, is that's not even an option. In fact, what do we find when someone says, well, you could have a house and it could be empty. And Jesus says, yes, the last state of that man would be worse than the beginning. Neutrality is worse. Really? Book of Revelation. What about the church at Laodicea? I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, because you're neutral, it's offensive. Yes, you know, or, or you know, we have the what's the parable? Um, he who stands in the middle of the road gets hits both ways. Um, you know, one way or the other. But there, that, that, that's to be despised. The, the one who is, which, the one who blows with the wind. The one who, uh, um, that's exactly what uh, uh, Jesus is saying. That they need to come to the truth. Uh, they're way over here. Even neutral is not going to be enough. 
It happened as he spoke these things, a woman spoke up, raised her voice, and blessed his mother. Blessed his mother. Um, and Jesus doesn't deny it. Uh, in the original Greek, it's, it's almost a yes and. Uh, here, it's just more than that. Uh, in other words, that's true. That's fine. Uh, in, in, in fact, Every woman wanted to be that blessed woman who had been given the Savior. But that is not the point. Uh, the point, as we have here, is about hearing the word of God and keeping it. And the Pharisees and the scribes are not doing that. And so he directs them back uh, to that very word of God. Questions? All right, if you want to get out your brown sheet, we'll do the responsive prayer for catechesis and conclude. We stand. Holy God, holy and most gracious Father, you shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I will walk.
wash my hands in innocence. So I will go about your altar, O Lord. the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men. In whose hands is a sinister scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, if I will walk in my integrity, believe me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations I will bless the Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would Keep us devoted to you so that we would gather with you and that we would hear your word. We ask also uh, that you would uh, grant clearness of mind to Vint as well as to bless his family with salvation. The final petition. O God, who makes the unworthy worthy, sinners righteous, impure pure, Work in me true repentance for my sins and misdeeds, for my daily and countless transgressions. Through faith in thy Son, make me worthy to receive the sacrament of thy Son's body and blood for the cleansing of my soul and body of all shame and sin. Through him who offered himself to thee, O God, Father, the perfect propitiatory sacrifice who is our sinless and only mediator, through the high priest Jesus Christ, thy dear Son. Amen. Bless we the Lord. The Lord bless us, defend us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life.